I'm going to attempt to start this morning with an illustration. I need a volunteer. <laughs> I don't see any hands shooting up. Oh, Debbie, your hand is shooting up. Come on up here, Debbie. This is going to be good. This will be fun. Good? Good enough? Go ahead. You'll see why you need that. Rub them together. I want to ask you a question. Do you like M&M's? Debbie has answered in the affirmative. She likes M&M's. Would you like this packet of M&M's? Okay, I promise I didn't do anything to it. We have clean hands. Now, just so you know... (laughs) Just so you know that this is not rigged, and I'm not making up the rules as I'm going along, I have a note card in my jacket pocket that has the rules for the illustration on it, all right? And on it, it says, you must give the M&Ms to someone you came to church with. I didn't come to church with anyone. You came by yourself then you must give the M&Ms to someone you are sitting with. (laughs) Are you willing to do that? That's the rules of my game. Yes, but she'll share. (laughs) As long as she will share. Okay, thank you, Debbie. Let's hear a round of applause for Debbie. I didn't know who was going to volunteer, so I actually brought another packet of M&M's, just in case. All right, there you go. So what I want you to catch there is you thought you were getting a bag of candy, and if you really like M&M's, you thought that's what you were going to get, and then the deer in the headlights, when you see the rules that say you must give the M&M's to someone you came to church with. Oh, what? Man, I was once a part of an illustration in Bible teaching that made me throw out an entire Reese's cup. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. So sometimes uh, we remember these sermon illustrations. I can't guarantee, and I don't expect that you're going to remember every single one of them. But think about this. I'm going to bring it up a couple different times today. Uh, Our title for the morning is, When We Labor in Prayer for Others. In Ephesians chapter 1, and even in the first part of the verses that that we're in today, there is such amazing power in what God does. And we don't see Paul keeping everything to himself. We see him praying in a way where he is laboring in that prayer for others. It's not the sweet candy just for his soul. It is for others. Others, And so I want you to think about that this morning as you think about your knowledge of God, as you think about your experience of God, as you think about how you pray for others. When we labor in prayer for others, let's get a vision of that in our minds this morning uh, as we think about uh, people that we know, people we're committed to in a local church setting, uh, other believers. uh, How is it that we pray for them? How is it we labor uh, in prayer for them? First thing that we will say this morning, God's work transforms us. This prayer 15 
through 23. It's a long prayer. We talked about Paul, uh, who has written in this chapter a couple of really long sentences. This is a long prayer. It's a good prayer. But before we see what the prayer is really about, I want us to try to remember how Paul is introducing this letter. This is a letter to the Ephesians. It's got a wider uh, context. It uh, certainly uh, circulated pretty quickly to believers in other areas. And so it's got a wide audience in mind, a wide application. And we want to, we want to do a little bit of work to see why, why Paul is affirming uh, these things. In, in the earlier uh, studies that we've done so far, we've seen how believers are chosen by God, how they're blessed by God, how they're redeemed by God because God has plans and he has purposes for our lives. It is for, because he is acting in love. Uh, there is a loving uh, God, Father, who is in heaven, uh, who, who loves us. When he works in our lives and and when he's working in our lives and we're experiencing the truth of who Jesus is and our lives are changing, it is to his praise, it is to his glory. An idea of this up here, I put up uh, Psalm 23, 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And I didn't get the verse that I wanted. I put down the wrong verses. If you keep going, what does it say? He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. I missed my editing. For his name's sake. All right? For his glory. All right, we're going to stay there for a minute. And then we'll get into the verses in 1 John in just a second. All right, so God is working, and the things that he is doing is, is, yes, it is for our benefit. It is for our encouragement and for our growth. But he is working, and he is working, so he will be praised. We saw last week as believers that we are recipients of an inheritance. We receive his promises on this earth, all the goodness of what God has to give to us through Jesus Christ now and forever. We saw last week how also that we got the Holy Spirit who comes and who lives in us. It's a, the, the language that we looked at, it's a down payment. No rip-offs. And we obtain these promises not because we are something special in ourselves or that we've accumulated enough that we can finally purchase what God is doing. We obtain these promises. We obtain the inheritance. We obtain the Holy Spirit. We obtain all of these positions that we have in God because we believe in the truth that is revealed to us. It's a work that truly transforms us. And so it shouldn't surprise us to see Paul basing his prayer on this. So verse 15, as we jump into our passage today, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So uh, he's explained a lot about who we are uh, for this reason, uh, because I've heard of your faith. This is how we're going to pray. Now, this isn't just some cast-off uh, sentence that Paul includes. I, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. This is actually, uh, these are two things uh, throughout the New Testament that we see as a litmus test. Our belief in the Lord Jesus and our love for the saints. If you are a true believer, this is going to be a great reminder. If you're listening today and you're seeking the truth of who Jesus is, know that this little clause is really, really helpful to understand the truth of who Jesus is. 
not only to us, not only for you as you consider uh, belief and your own uh, belief, but everywhere in the world. Okay. 1 John chapter 2. Uh, 1 John is a letter that the Apostle John uh, wrote uh, later in his life. It's not uh, so people, as much so people would know, it's so people would be reminded what it is to be a Christian. And one of the things that, that John does is uh, in that he lays out a couple of tests uh, for us. One of those tests is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? In the middle there, what do you see? Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the one who's opposed to Christ, the Antichrist, who, who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So when Paul writes, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. that Jesus is their authority. They have confessed him and they believe in him. That's where he's going in addressing them. And their love for the saints. We see in 1 John chapter 3, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. When our soul is no longer dead and has been made alive through faith in Jesus Christ, it will bring about a supernatural love for other believers. Am I growing as a Christian? Am I a real follower of Jesus Christ? All right. Yes, I am. My daughter knows the answer to that question. <laughs> if I am, I will be growing and increasing in my love for other Christians. That's what God will do inside of us. So Paul writes here, nothing that other believers wouldn't have been acquainted with, uh, would have uh, known that the goal is to confess the truth of who Jesus is. He died in our place. He suffered on a cross for our sins. He substituted his body in place of where we all should be punished. He was buried in a tomb and he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he has power over sin. He has power over death. We make him Lord of our lives through faith. That's how Paul is addressing these believers. God's work transforms us. And if that is the case, and if that is the truth, then God's work doesn't just transform us. It transforms prayer. God's work transforms how we pray. Ultimately, this is a lesson for us of how we should pray. So I want you to, to keep that in mind this morning as we go through this second point. This is where we'll spend most of our time this morning is in this second point. I don't want to be in a hurry. I want us to make sure that we uh, slow our minds down and we get this. This can be an amazing benefit to our uh, souls and to our prayer lives as we uh, continue to develop our relationships with the Lord. God transforms us. It transforms prayer. If this is what's motivating Paul to pray then we should look at the prayer that comes from somebody who's transformed himself and then identifies others as transformed. In other words, if we're believers, it changes our lives and it changes our perspectives and the way that we see others, and it will change the way that we pray. We won't just pray, Lord, give me, give me, and be happy that we end up with a bag of candy. 
We won't stop there in our prayers. It won't just be sweet candy for us. It'll be, Lord, I want this that I've experienced with you. I want the, the, the relationship that I have with you. I want the love that you have with me. I want the power of, and the knowledge of all of that. I want it to be for others. I want somebody else to have it as well. So as we go through this, we're going to start at verse 16. I want you to compare maybe your average week of prayers to some of the things that we see in here. And this isn't necessarily a guilt trip. I don't desire that at all. I hope that more and more we will pray like this and we will, we will grow by adding these types of things into the way that we pray for our fellow believers. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul is giving thanks for other believers. He's remembering them and the impact that they have made on his life. He's remembering that in prayer. So simple thanksgiving that there are other people in our lives who have made an impact on us and their faith has done the same thing. Also, he's giving thanks for who they are to God and not just who they are to him. It's one thing to be encouraged by somebody. It's another thing to just give thanks because God's done a work in somebody else's life. Helps us to pray through God's eyes and not just how we see people. A little bit more on that as we go along. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's asking that God would give the readers of this letter, immediately those in Ephesus and the surrounding area that are hearing this, he's praying that God would give them wisdom. He's praying that he would give them knowledge of the revelation of who God is. Not that they're not already believers, that they would understand it more and more. And verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. These verses pack a real punch. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. This isn't just the heart in the sense of the organ that pumps blood and gets it to places in the body and helps us to, to keep going and breathe and, and function and all that sort of thing. This is, uh, they understood the, the term the heart as a makeup of so much of what a person is so that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that their being would be enlightened to everything that God is. This is exactly how Paul is praying for these Ephesians. So if we slow down just a little bit, start at 18. The eyes of the enlarged heart would be open for what? All right, so verse 17, they want wit. he wants them to have wisdom. He wants them to have the revelation, uh, more of the knowledge of who God is, and he wants the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. So he's praying for more knowledge, more experience, more enlightenment for what? Uh, verse 18, hope. You may know what is the hope to which he's called you. You know the riches of the inheritance. And then in verse 19, power. Those are three things that come leaping off of this, and we'll, we'll take 19 uh, through the end, but I just want us to stop for a minute and to catch our breath. The way that Paul is laying this out, it is phenomenal. 
He prays for these believers in such a way that they would go beyond their initial salvation. He prays for them to mature and to increase in everything that they know and everything that they're experiencing. We call this series Identity Surrender. I want you to think about Paul's identity. Paul's identity changed drastically in Jesus. Before he became a follower of Jesus, he was a Jew who was very knowledgeable about the Jewish faith. He knew the scriptures. He was uh, born uh, Jewish, and, and he was opposed to who Jesus was. And Jesus, we find out in Acts chapter 9, Jesus changes Paul in a drastic, miraculous, amazing confrontation. And so Paul's very identity changed from somebody who was murderously pursuing Christians and wanting their lives to be uh, upended in, in violent ways to someone who is preaching the gospel. So his very identity has changed. He is not, in this sense, a manager. He is not some, uh, yes, he's a very, very well-known Christian, but uh, his goal is not to get more power and more resources for himself. He is praying for these people, and he does throughout his letters in such a way that he desires their good. He wants them to continue to grow and to function in all that God has for them. And it's how he's praying for them, and it's how he's teaching us as believers to pray. He wants God's power in them, the very power of the resurrection. Let me go back. I'll go back a month. Who here has, uh, I'll take a show of hands today, who here has really learned something? I'm not going to bring somebody up as a volunteer, so don't, <laughs> don't get nervous. Who here has learned something about God in a, a, a way that you hadn't understood before or just learned something that you didn't know in the past month? All right? So hands, and those are probably people who are just thinking something very specific is coming to mind. Some of you later on will go, oh, I should have raised my hand because I remember this, and that, that happens. Fine. This is the goal. All right, about half of the hands in the room went up, and you said, hey, I have learned something. This is the way it is supposed to work. You might wonder, what does God want me to know? All right, in some senses, here's the way I want you to understand this. There is a body of revealed truth that God has given to us. It's called the Bible. All right, this document, this book that we have, it is not just a textbook. It is the living, breathing word of God. And it is for us, and it is for all times. It is for anyone who will turn uh, and learn. It is for our uh, building up. It is for our correction. It is to challenge us or rebuke us, uh, train us. All of these things happen when we take the, the Bible as God's word. And so there is a body of revealed truth. Now, who in here understands every single thing there is to know about the Bible? I don't see any hands. My hand's not up right now either. I don't understand. I don't know every single thing there is to know. I don't. And before I die, I won't. Now, what, 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 what's going on with that? <laughs> Why doesn't God just make it snappity-snappity so we can know everything and avoid some of the problems that we have? Well, that's not the point. The point is that we grow. The point is that we learn. And the Holy Spirit is our help. We found out last week that the Holy Spirit is deposited into us. 
as a down payment for the inheritance that will be forever, but also to live in us and to help us now. In our verses today, that the Father would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So what is going to happen uh, as we grow and as prayers like Paul's are answered is that we will increase in our understanding of God's revelation to us. We will increase in our ability to apply it to our lives. As we continue to walk in faith, as the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, we will know more and more of that revealed body of truth. The Holy Spirit will help us uh, teach or help us to learn it. He'll help us to grow in it. He'll help us to know uh, more of it, to understand it, so we can apply it better to our lives. What is going to happen if you continue to walk in, in faith through all of the good seasons of life, through all the bad seasons of life, is what's going to happen is you're going to know the Bible more and more because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he wants you to to know and to experience everything that God has for you and to continue to grow in that. That's the heart of what Paul is doing. What an amazing way to begin to pray for other people. Now, have you ever wondered what God is doing? Right? Yeah, we've done this one before. You, you wonder, why am I in this season? Why did these events go the way they are? Why hasn't God answered this prayer when it's clearly something that he would desire? Why is he holding out? Why hasn't he saved so-and-so that I've been praying for for so long? Why hasn't this happened? All these questions come to mind. Well, this type of a prayer, as we continue to, to understand it, as we continue to labor for others, this type of a prayer reveals to us some of those answers. We know that there's help available. When we are in a position where we're not sure and we need help, we know that there is help available. When we don't understand and we're seeking understanding, we know that there's help available. We also know that there's power available. This isn't just some helpline. We know that there's power in the Holy Spirit being a part of our lives and helping us to understand the Bible. And so it, it, oftentimes we will go to the, the worst place of our life, the hardest thing that's happened, or the most recent difficulty that we've had, and we think about why we doubt, we think about why we're afraid, why we're concerned, or why we want to give up. But what Paul is showing us that we don't, we don't want to stay in those seasons, we want to continue forward, and we want to know that we benefit from other people's prayers. If we're obedient to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll know in those difficult times that people are praying for us. If we're obedient to Ephesians chapter 1, we will be proactive to pray for others in whatever situation they are and pray just like this, that together we are going to grow and mature to be more and more like Jesus. Prayer is transformed when we understand what God does. You might look back in your life and wonder, in a difficult season, how in the world did the light ever go on to where I understood what God wanted me to get out of that? You might think back, that, hey, there was some moment, there was some song on the radio, there was some scripture that I heard, there was something that somebody sent me or shared with me, or I turned in my devotions and there it was. That's Ephesians 1. When these prayers are happening and they're being answered, that's Ephesians 1. This week, this past week, for me, it was a special week. 
marked a one-year anniversary that I came out of a really difficult season of my life. I didn't know why I was in a difficult season. I continued to walk. I continued to seek. I continued to try. It went on for a couple of months. I wasn't sure what was going on. And in coinciding with, with my missions trip to Athens, one year ago this week, God brought me out of that in this amazing thing. The light went on, and I know it was because of prayers like this that were being prayed for me that Kevin would know the power of who God is. Those prayers were answered, and God did that. And I'm sure that if we took time, we would hear a lot of stories from people in this room or people that are uh, participating online this morning where God has showed up. I want you to know that it is possible. I want you to know not only is it possible, it's what God says. Pray these things will happen, and then it will. Now, where is Jesus in all of this? I want us to focus on his position. All right, it's one thing to say that uh, we, uh, verse 19, uh, we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward who believe, but it's another thing to know why we have that power. All right, verse 20, all right, the great might of the end of 19 into 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is far above this physical earth. He is in authority in the heavenly places. The power of God worked it in Jesus' life and death so that Jesus' death wasn't the end, that the very power of God brought him out of the grave, that he rose from the dead. It's power that we have. It's his position. And so when we pray, we want people to know and to experience the power of what God wants us to have, experience of all that he is. And it has Christ and the church in view. So if you've been following along this morning and you haven't seen Christ in this passage, you've probably been asleep. Go back on Facebook this week and rewatch this and go from the beginning and see that Christ is right here on the page and he's wonderful. I don't have any excuse to be asleep this morning. We got an hour extra. Come on. Here we go. I don't see anybody asleep. Christ is in view in this passage. His power and his control are in view in this passage. And I promise you, I did not line the timing of these passages up for us to end on this right before election week or election month or however long this thing is going to take to figure out what's going on. I didn't, I didn't plan that. It just so happens that here we are in a time when many Americans and many American believers are really, really concerned about the future of our country and what's going to happen. Even the immediate future of this week, there's real legitimate concern in our souls. And here we are today, and we see in God's word that Jesus rose from the dead and God seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, even the two famous names on the ballot, he is above those names, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is where he has us the Sunday before. Will someone say amen? This is who Jesus is. He's far above. I'm not saying don't go vote because it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying have some peace and act like Jesus is the one who's in control. That's what he wants for us as believers. A higher king, a higher authority. 
We want our values to be lived out in our world, and we, we want that. It's why we have the type of government that we have, but there are believers all over the world that don't have this opportunity. Their governments control them and oppress them, and they have a king who, who in verse 21 and 22 is far above all rule and authority. It's the same here. It's the same around the world. November is typically a month when, when uh, we in the West will put uh, attention on persecuted believers. As much as we are concerned for our own government, let's be concerned for others as well. We have a Savior who is above all of it. And the goal as we pray for each other is to be reminded of that. It's so amazing. And, and this, a lot of this has sounded individual today, but I want you to see that the, the church is in view. The church is going to be in view in Ephesians, not just individuals relating to God, but gathered bodies of people. He put all things under his feet, verse 22, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. Verse 23, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's powerful. We want to see these events in Ephesians 1, not just a connection to individual people relating to God, not just to our local church, Gospel Memorial, but to gathered bodies. Local believers all over the world, this connection is so we will know his power. And this is how Paul teaches us to pray, is that believers would grow in our knowledge, grow in our experience of the power of God and the authority of Jesus in our lives. How could we ever, if this is the intent, go back to being insecure and uncertain about what God has done in us? Be certain that if God has done a work in you, it is real. It may not seem like it's recently real, but it is real. We don't want to go back. We don't want our prayers to just be about ourselves. We don't want to just take a bag of candy and say, yippee for me. We want to say, I want to take this experience, I want to take my growth, and I want to pour myself out and labor in prayer for other believers so that we will be able to celebrate when this type of maturity happens and comes about. 